from the National Press Club in Washington, D.C., this is Update One, the club's official podcast. It features newsworthy stories originating from the NPC facilities, as well as broader topics related to journalism, communications, press freedom, and transparency. As our children head back to school this year, there is a backpack full of challenges for educators. School shootings are at a record high. Classroom violence and disruptions are up. Students need for mental health services are up. Schools are scrambling to find teachers and deal with changing COVID guidance. And if all of that wasn't enough, the culture wars are banging down the schoolhouse doors. I'm Deborah Silameo, a member of the National Press Club's Board of Governors, and I am just delighted to welcome Dan Dominich, who's the head of AASA, the American Association of School Administrators, also called the School Superintendents Association, to our Update One podcast today. Hello, Dan. Thanks for joining us. Deborah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So you represent more than 13,000 school superintendents all across the country. You've been in the hot seat yourself as a superintendent for, what, over two decades, including seven in Fairfax County, and you've been a public school teacher. I think you're probably pretty careful with what you say, but you made some waves speaking to education reporters uh, recently when you said that school shootings and violence were what's keeping superintendents up at night. As you put it, low test scores won't kill a child, a bullet will. That was a very dramatic statement and it got everyone's attention, but you did get some blowback from people who said that they thought you were dismissing academic achievement. So would you still say that? Yes, I would. And uh, we are not at all uh, dismissing academic achievement. Uh, The point uh, was what's keeping educators up at night. Uh, And what's keeping educators up at night is the violence that's been going on in our schools, the shooting, the fear. Uh, that uh, teachers have and others have in terms of is it is it going to be my school, my turn next? Uh, and that's a very real fear, but it, it's more than that. Beyond that, uh, we've seen uh, that educators, you know, at the beginning of this, it was it's interesting. We're going back to 2020 and that March uh, and the remainder of that school year. Uh, educators and uh, healthcare workers and first responders were heroes. And uh, everybody was praising the work that the teachers were doing and uh, nurses and doctors and police officers and how quickly that changed. Uh, And it began to change when we got into the the wars uh, between uh, should uh, children be mandated to wear masks or not? Uh, Should children be required to be vaccinated or not? Should schools be open or not? And it turned into a no-win situation for educators. Whatever it is that they did, there was a significant side on the other side of that uh, against what was being done. So, and what happened as well is that as uh, as this confrontation began to happen between two groups of people who wanted different things, that one group became abusive uh, of parents. The uh, parents and others became abusive of teachers, of superintendents, of educators, I think we've seen in the media uh, board meetings. I mean, board meetings traditionally are pretty boring events. 
very few people come to a, a board meeting and make it exciting. It's it's a it's a business meeting uh, that the board has to, by law, engage in in order to do the affairs uh, of the school district. But all of a sudden, we saw board meetings uh, where uh, individuals were were coming up and being highly critical and abusive. Uh, I think I still remember, and I'm sure many of us do, since I live in Virginia, having seen a, a board meeting where a parent came up uh, when the board was considering whether the masks were going to be worn or not, and basically told the board, if you make my child have to wear a mask, I'll be back here with my gun loaded. Now, this individual was obviously arrested, uh, and this was a, a mother, uh, you know, making that statement. So. And I've been hearing on a regular basis, Deborah, from our superintendents, uh, how their families are being threatened. Their children who attend the same schools are being threatened. Uh, and that's beyond the pale. Most superintendents uh, will uh, take, uh, you know, threats and will take abuse because that comes with the job. But when it extends to the family, that's that's a whole different story. So we've seen many superintendents uh, leaving the, their jobs, leaving their positions uh, because of the abuse, because of the threats, because of the pressure of the job. And we're seeing the same thing happening with principals as well. And of course, uh, where it's having the biggest impact is with teachers. Uh, teachers who are, are just fed up, uh, they've had enough. Uh, one instance is that uh, they're being uh, hired by the private sector who's offering more money uh, with without the pressures of the job. Another one is that teachers are now maybe eligible for retire and, and so they're they're going to leave. And another one is that uh, it, it, they're, they're so frustrated uh, that they don't teaching isn't what it used to be. It's not the joy that they used to have uh, in the past. And, and and contributing to that is the behavior of suits. Students are coming back to school, and we see the department has reported that behavior issues this last couple of years uh, exceeds uh, the numbers that we've seen in, in years before. So this, this is a combination of things. So academic achievement, whereas absolutely that's important, uh, but when you place academic achievement next to these other things, that's not uh, the biggest concern that educators have. And you know why? Because kids continue to learn. Just because they weren't in school doesn't mean they stopped learning. They continue to learn. We're already seeing, for example, in, in, in many of our uh, suburban school districts, our wealthier school districts, uh, where the superintendents are reporting that, hey, you know what? Our kids are testing uh, almost uh, on, on the average that they should be at this point in time. The difference, though, is in those communities the impoverished communities, urban communities, rural communities that don't have the same number of resources, they're the ones where we see the children falling even further behind. So what's happening right now is that the achievement gap is, is greater than it's ever been. And how do we get those students caught up uh, to the point that uh, that achievement gap is lessened as opposed to increased? So yes, uh, uh, to say that we don't think that achievement is important. Uh, absolutely not. Achievement is important. Is it the most important thing today? No. Which is the key thing, Leah. We have to get them ready to learn. I want to talk to you about some of the shortages and other issues. But, you know, I know at your annual meeting, you said to the superintendents who are gathered there, 
that the pandemic actually had some positive outcomes, that it forced educators to do something different. Can you name a few ones? What should we, what should we be grateful for? Absolutely. Yes. And, and uh, you know, that's the that's silver lining uh, to take advantage of the opportunity. Uh, and uh, many school districts, are, and we're working with many of those school districts that are, are doing that. For example, uh, some even minor, uh, but major changes from the point of view of policy. Consider attendance. Uh, consider the, the school year as it's been constituted forever, you know, from, from uh, September through June with two months of vacation in between. And we have always recognized in education that those two months representing learning loss, that when kids would come back to school in September, the teacher would spend the better part of that month just reviewing to begin to learn anew. Well, what we've seen uh, as a result of COVID is that there has been a great emphasis over the last couple of summers to bring kids back to school during the summer months, okay, and to help them uh, accelerate and catch up. Uh, but the problem here is that summer school is not part of the regular school year. First of all, it's not required. So students don't have to attend. Second of all, it's not part of teachers' contracts. So teachers don't have to teach. So a lot of districts are considering that, you know what? Maybe we ought to go to year-round year -round schooling uh, to eliminate that two-month vacation period and create semesters with a couple of weeks in between during the, the year as a whole. That's, that's one potential uh, approach. The other one is seat time requirements. I mean, we saw during this pandemic uh, kids that weren't in school. Uh, and yet so many states have requirements that in order to get uh, high school credit, the child has to be in the classroom for so many hours. Well, that went the way of everything else. I mean, the change with COVID. Uh, so we've seen, uh, we have seen over the last couple of years, students getting credit, even though they weren't physically present in the school because they were taking the course online or virtually. So that's another thing. Uh, in spite of uh, how bad uh, the initial remote learning and virtual learning was, and it was bad because schools weren't ready for that. That's not what schools prepared for. Schools prepared for in person. But there's been a lot of improvement in the areas of uh, remote learning and virtual learning. So a lot of districts are looking at that as a way to supplement in-person learning. So yes, we can have the children in the school in person, but if in addition to that, we provide uh, the students with online programming for after school, for weekends, for vacation periods, inclement weather days. How many districts no longer have inclement weather days? Why? Because, hey, if you can't come to school, we'll, we'll send the lesson to you virtually. The teacher will be online with you. So that's another major step in the right uh, direction. And, yeah, and, and another one that I'm happy to see, because that also relates to my statement about uh, academic achievement and catching up, uh, the reality that for years we have known, a lot of the research has been done that shows that one of the major reasons for the achievement gap is that if we are not taking care of the whole child, if we're not concerned about what the child, the child that comes to school hungry, the child that comes to school abused, the child who doesn't have a home, the child who may have only one parent, these children come to school with a lot of luggage that prevents them from learning. A child that's hungry because they haven't been fed is not gonna learn. A child that has so many other issues going at home is not gonna learn. 
until we realize what the issues are that the child has and address them, engaging those students. When we do that, it's not a miracle. When we do that, guess what happens? Those children learn. Those children grow. Those children move. But we can't ignore that. And we certainly, during this period of, of COVID, when we have seen such deep emotional issues on the part of our children, ignore that to focus on, hey, the first thing we do when you come into the classroom is open your algebra book to page 40, and we're going to start teaching. That's not going to work. I want to come back to some of these issues uh, when I talk about journalists and, and, and stories we're covering or not covering. But something came up recently in the area of the culture wars that I, I wanted to ask you about, especially because you were a superintendent in Virginia. And that's this tip line that the new governor of Virginia has started where people can send in reports and observations on things they consider objectionable being taught in schools, but the tips aren't made public and we don't know what's going to happen to them or what's being done with them. I wonder how this sits with you and I guess your members in the state of Virginia. I don't agree with it. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's negative. It's destructive. Uh, it, it, uh, teachers are concerned now. I mean, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to act? Uh, if, if somebody is, is going to report me for what, for what I've done, uh, that is, uh, I, I think that the, the type of behavior that is causing so many teachers to leave when they don't know what to teach, when they're concerned that anything they say is going to be held against them. Uh, that becomes destructive and it's not helping uh, the children any if there's this fear. what What's the purpose of that? Where's that information going? What are they going to do about it? We don't know any of that. Uh, so anybody can call and we've seen this happen. You know, if you don't, if, if, if somebody happens to have an issue with a teacher because they didn't give the, the child a grade that the parents thought that they decided, what are they going to do? They're going to pick up the phone and say something negative about that teacher. And, and, and what's going to happen with the teacher? This is not a, that's not a positive step towards helping teachers in the classroom to engage their students. It's a negative step. So I am very much against it. We're not going to stop the exodus of superintendents and teachers unless we make that's not going to help profession <laughs> easier, right? That's not um, going to help. That's only that's only going to add to the problem. Yes. So I I do want to get your thoughts on education coverage, kind of what you think of it in general, what advice you might have for reporters who are trying to cover all of these things that are happening in education. And, and maybe also, is there a story that you think isn't being covered and, and should be told? Uh, well, yeah, first of all, uh, I, uh, I happen to, uh, uh, even through my years as a superintendent, uh, I was very much cognizant of uh, how critical and how important and what a great resource the media is. So rather than being shy, uh, rather than getting a call from a reporter and saying, I'm not available, I answered every call and I made myself available because I recognize that the media plays a, a, an invaluable a part in, in, in education because you can get your story out better through the media than you can through your own channels. You know, if, if I have a, a, a publication, a newsletter or whatever it is that the district uh, sends out, well, everybody looks at it as being biased. Of course, 
you know, the newsletter is only going to talk about all the good things that are happening, but they're going to avoid all the issues and all the problems. But as the media reports, uh, then it's a different story. Now that's viewed by the public in general as unbiased. This is the story. This is really what's happening. But in order to do that as an administrator, you have to be willing to uh, be available, not just for the good stories, but for the bad stories as well. And you have to be open and above board and, uh, and transparent uh, when, the, uh, when the problem is a bad one. Uh, and when you do that, what happens is that you gain the respect of the media. And they know that you can be approached, whether it's a good story or a bad story. And that uh, situation, that, that opportunity to work together, I think it, it works well for both parties. The other part is that, um, and a key again to as, as the spokesperson for the district, whether you're the superintendent or whoever, that you're willing to spend time with that reporter to put situations in context. Because very often, for example, a reporter will come to you with a particular point and what's your answer to this thing? And if you have the opportunity to step back and put it in the context, in the proper context, uh, it's a whole different story. So let's take the teacher shortage as an example. If the question is, why is there a teacher shortage? Well, there's a teacher shortage because teachers are leaving, they're quitting, they're doing all of these things because they're, you know, they're not being appreciated, et cetera. Well, that's a, that's different from putting in the context of, you know, how does this affect education? If all of a sudden we have all of these teachers leaving, if now we don't have the quality of people in the classroom that we want to provide our kids with a quality education, what happens if, as we see in many states right now, that they're basically elim eliminating certification as a requirement? Or in Florida, where the governor has said that if you're a, a veteran of the military and you have 60 college credits, you can go into a classroom and teach. That almost suggests that anybody can go into a classroom and teach simply because you've had a couple of, of college credits. And that's far from the reality. And that sort of demeans the profession. And that sort of makes teachers feel that, hey, we're not important here. You know, anybody can come into the classroom and teach. So why did I bother to go through four years of college and two years to get a master's in order to get certified to do the work that I do? So uh, that's where I think uh, that relationship between the media and the communicator, the superintendent, whoever it is, to establish that kind of relationship when it's good and when it's bad uh, is very important. Is, is there a story that isn't being told that should be, or are we spending too much time covering all the negative things and maybe not looking at some of the really good things that are happening? Yes, a, a, a good story uh, is very much in line with what we've been talking about in terms of the engagement of students, uh, the the teachers, and and what teachers do uh, to engage students uh, to to realize what are the issues that are bothering them, what are the problems. So we're focusing on the whole child rather than just the lesson and is the child learning and the test results. That is important. And that's what good teachers do and have been doing forever. And that's not giving enough attention. All the attention goes to test scores and how well the kids do on a test, but not to the efforts that teachers make to work with that child, to care for that child, to engage that child, so that, that it's more to it than just a test score. 
It has more to do with building that child to be the kind of individual we all want that child to be. So if someone calls you tomorrow and says, you were talking about this, give me an example so I can go write about it. You can give us one. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, you look for uh, look at the people that are uh, named uh, every year as teachers of the year. Yes, it, you know, many times it's because of the performance of, of their students, but more so is because of what these teachers have done with the kids, the kind of relationship that they have established with their kids, the fact that the that, that, that kids love them. Any school you go to that you find out who is the teacher or who are the teachers that are most loved by their kids, there you will see the kind of educator that we're talking about that we need to have in a classroom. Yes, there may be a great math teacher, but also they're a great person to understand, to engage, to care about that child, to develop the kind of relationship with that child that makes that child want to go to school, makes that child feel like they have somebody that they can go to and talk to uh, because that individual will respond to their needs and their issues. And then guess what happens with that child? That child's begin to learn just like that. And those test scores go up just like that. That's what we should be emphasizing and looking at, and, and we're not. We've covered a lot of ground here, probably not as deeply as we'd like, but it's a podcast. We have a short period of time. But is there anything else that you really wanted to say before we wrap it up today? Yes, and, and, and that is to, to take advantage of the opportunity uh, that we have. Uh, I think we need to talk about not going back to what we think is normal, but moving forward to what it should have been. Let's not go back to how it was. Let's move forward to how it should be. And this is a great opportunity for education to do that. That is a wonderful, wonderful thought. Thank you so much, Dan Dominich. He's the executive director of the School Superintendents Association. And thank you to you, to your members and educators all over the country for what you're doing to help our children succeed. And and thank you, Deborah, for giving me the opportunity. Oh, you're so welcome. Thanks, everyone, for listening. You have been listening to Update One, the official podcast of the National Press Club, the world's leading professional organization for journalists and a vigorous advocate of press freedom worldwide. If you have any questions or comments about Update One, send an email to updateonepodcast at gmail.com.